We've been in a series for the last four weeks, First John, then me, and we are in our last installment of the series on First John chapter 5. If you'd like to turn there with me in your Bible, if you don't have one, there's one provided for you in the seat back in front of you. If you'll turn there as we go to this last installment, and we realize through this series from week one till now in First John that John has raised our awareness that you don't have to wait until heaven to have intimacy with God. You don't, and I don't have to wait till heaven to have intimacy with God. He wants you and I to know that we can have it right here. Oh, there'll be nothing like heaven, that's for sure. But you can have intimacy right here with him. And so the first four chapters, there are two fundamental issues that we've been talking about. The first one, faith in Christ alone, faith in Christ alone, and then second, love for the brethren. That has been the theme as we've moved through this in talking about intimacy. He's saying you can have that, to have a vibrant, dynamic, and today, a victorious life in Jesus Christ, you and I can have it. You know, the question we face is, we wonder maybe sometimes, we wonder on all this wonder in Christ, why am I always defeated? Why do I feel defeated many times when I should feel victorious? You know, I feel like living this life is living a life with a heavy burden, like a, like a heavy backpack on my back. And, you know, I'm weighed down. And so the first five verses of chapter 5, the Apostle John is going to answer some questions. He answers four questions in these, in these first five verses. The question number one is, who is the brother that we ought to love? Who is the brother we ought to love? Verse one, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. What he's saying, the answer is, anybody who places faith alone in Christ alone as their sin bearer. Anyone who does that, as we just received communion and walked through that, and we are reminded what he did for us, but anyone who places faith alone and Christ alone as their sin bearer, that he took it upon himself to die for us. And we look at this, you know, if, if you do not love your brother, you will not experience the love of God. God is saying, you can't have me if you won't have them. If you won't love them because you're not the only person in the family. Isn't that right? You and I aren't the only person in the family of God. It, now, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Sometimes we act that way. We're the only one in the family of God. Right. It's like when, um, you know, moms and dads, you've seen it and maybe you felt it in your own home or you've seen it on videos and all these things where mom and dad, they come and they sit down with, with their, their youngest there and their only one, and they're saying, hey, mom and dad have a surprise for you. We're going to have a baby. It, you know, the kid starts crying many times because they realize life is about ready to change, right? We're adding a new dimension into this family, and the love is going to have to be shared now that I'm not the only one. You and I aren't the only one in the family of God. That's a good thing. Second question, how do you know if you are loving your brother? Verse two, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his commandments. We must apply our love for God to our brother. We must apply the love that we have 
for God to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do that by taking the commandments of God and apply them in our relationships day in and day out. Take the love affair that you have vertically and apply it horizontally. Romans 13 says, make love a debt, doesn't it? Yes. Make love a debt. Make love a bill. You know, you know, don't let any other debts out there remain and stand. But he said, this debt of loving each other, you should do that. A bill that you have to pay. Love your neighbor as yourself. Am I, am I going to do, because he's talking about the reciprocal here, because we could ask this, am I going to do anything that's going to hurt my brother or sister in Christ? Love fulfills that law. When you get to the principle of love, you get that down. You don't need the law. Oh, we ultimately know we need the law. But when you start getting love down, you don't need the commandments as much at that point because you're fulfilling it. I'm, you know, you can ask this question. Am I getting ready to gossip about somebody, my brother or sister in Christ? Am, am I getting ready to steal from my brother or sister in Christ? And would we want that to happen to us? Well, absolutely not. He's talking, you can reverse it here as you look at it. You would not want anybody to do it to you. Don't do it to them. Now, the third question comes because these two, first two questions seem like a burden. They seem like a burden, like, wow, I got to do that. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not what? Burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Now, if your Christian life is weighing you down, you're not living the real Christian life. Are you with me? Say yes. Listen, if you're here today serving the Lord and your Christian life is weighing you down, you are living the wrong life. That is not the life that Jesus has promised to us. Is that right? That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. How can I keep God's expectations and not be burdened by them? That's a great question. When obedience is tied to love, it loses its burden. When obedience is tied to love, it loses its burden. Now, but when obedience is tied to law, it doubles the burden. Now, Take a woman who can't stand to cook. I understand men cook too. Just hang with me here for just a moment, okay? But take a woman who can't stand to cook. Can't stand the kitchen, but who is in love with her man. She will call her mama and ask her mama, how do I make this? How do I do this? Why? Well, love is present. Her and Betty Crocker will be able to do anything at that moment, right? Because love is causing her to do it. That's why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Light. It is not heavy, he said. That's it. God says, listen, you can't handle this on your own, but you come and link up with me. He said, I'll help pull you through some of the most difficult circumstances of your life. It doesn't have to be a burden for you. He said, I can handle whatever is weighing you down. Question four. What's the result of a faith that expresses itself in love? Verses four and five, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God? In order to be an overcomer, you've got to overcome something. Isn't that right? If you're an overcomer, you have to overcome something. Why do we have to overcome the world? The world has one goal we've talked about from the very beginning. 
Remember, the world has one goal, and that is to remove you from the Father's love. Yes, the Father's love is constant to us, but the goal of the world, the work of the enemy, ultimately is what he's saying here. That's the foundation of it. It's saying he's wanting to draw you away from intimacy and the love that you have for your Father in heaven. But if you've trusted Jesus as your sin bearer, you are already an overcomer. And how many of you know the last chapter of the last book in the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for the overcomer? Amen? We're overcomers through him. Now, verses 6 through 10, Jesus says, if you want this assurance of God's fellowship, it is confidence in God's truthfulness. Remember we talked about the other week. God is a God that doesn't stand aloof and back and say, I hope that you're able to go through your struggle. I hope that you're able to make it. But God gives us an assured heart in the midst of our problems, struggles, and circumstances even today. But he says that assurance of God's fellowship is confidence in God's truthfulness. Verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Seven, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and these three are one. Verse eight, there, there are three that bear witness on the earth. They are the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. One witness in the Bible is not enough to authenticate a point. If you go back and you look back, even through the Old Testament, you realize that one witness in the Bible was not enough to authenticate a point. You needed two, and better yet, three if you had them. God always gives more than one witness about himself. Can I hear an amen? He will always give more than one witness about himself. So when you're looking for God's will and God's guidance, you should also look for God's witnesses. I would imagine that everybody in this room is seeking God's will and God's guidance on something right now. You've been wondering, there's a question in your mind, and he's going to help us with what we're going through. We should look for God's witnesses when we're seeking his will. When it comes to the witness of Jesus Christ, he says there are three witnesses. There's water, and I can't go into all this in depth, but water refers to the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. That's a witness. Next, the blood refers to the cross, what we remember today. This was not the death of an ordinary man, though, not just a death. This was Jesus Christ. And the Bible says from the ninth hour, excuse me, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness seeped in and covered the entire land. Last is the Spirit. What the Spirit does is impresses on the inside what you see God doing on the outside of you. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to come and press on you inside what God is already doing on the outside of you. That's one of the many things that the Holy Spirit does. He tells us why he's telling this in verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He continues. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given us eternal life and the life is in his son. One of the great tragedies of today is we have Christians who will take man's word before they will take God's word. Attorneys will spend much of their time in validating the witness. We talked about that the other week. 
Satan will even come to you and invalidate you, your character, the assassination of your character, murdering your reputation. But listen, you can look all day long at God and you will find nothing wrong with him ever. And it is why many people have trouble reading the word of the Lord in that because they're looking at it and they don't take the word of God. They don't take it for what it is, that it is a powerful, life-giving book. Let me ask you a question. How do you know Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States? Were you there? Was your mama there? How about your daddy? What about granny? Was she there? Were you alive when he set the slaves free? No. You know why we believe that Lincoln was the 16th president? Because somebody who was there wrote it, and you read it and believed it. There were reliable men that wrote the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit And if you believe the witness of men, the witness of God is even greater, he said. He wants us to believe in the Son of God. Look to Jesus Christ. This assurance of intimacy resides in the supernatural life-giving presence of who Jesus is, better known as eternal life. And the witness, verse 11 says, and this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Eternal life, amongst the many things, is foundationally the knowledge of who God is. If you want to experience the intimate life with God, you have to experience intimate relationship with the Son of God because the life is in the Son of God. Verse 13, he says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He says, I'm writing to those of you that are married. Not married down here in the earthly sense. He's talking about spiritual marriage with him. Married to God who believe but you do not have life. The eternal life of Jesus is not pulsating within you. If you want that life, he says, you can experience that life at the deepest part of who you are, and that is called eternal life. Eternal life is not just time. That's everlasting life. Eternal life is also about quality. Remember we talked about, starting the first series, in the first week of this series, we talked about many people just add up their days. They just talk about the quantity of their life. I've lived this long, or I hope to live this long. But God is telling us in this, it's more than quantity. It's about a quality of life that I want to give to you and that you can have while you are living upon this earth now. And you don't have to settle for anything less. Verse 14 is this great connector verse. He says, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Why do we have confidence with him? It's because of our intimacy with him. This is profound. He says, the way you know that the pulsating reality of Jesus Christ is producing life in you is you will see a major change occur in your prayer life. You will have a new confidence in prayer. You show me a person who's experiencing the life of Christ, I will show you a person who prays with power. 
No, no, you didn't hear me. You're just like the first service. You just took that in without much. I heard a couple amens. You show me a person who's experiencing the life of Christ, and I will show you a person who prays with power. Amen? That's what he's saying. Right? Amen. I don't know what he said, but I'm just going to amen it. They believe that when they connect with God, that something is going to happen. They believe something is going to take place. They're just not putting a prayer. They're just not, help me, God, you know, living on a wing and a prayer or whatever. You know that when you go before him, he is paying attention to you. And if we ask anything according to his will, God can hear anything. He can hear anything. How many of you have the wonderful ability to multitask? Yeah. I mean, you could even be in the same room, listen to two different conversations, and have an answer for both at the same time. Oh, that's amazing. Now, I can't, and for one of the many reasons is, first of all, I'm a man. So, <laughs> sorry about that, but that's, that's just the way it goes. It's like one conversation, one at a time here. That's just me, Okay. But when people are saying, you're not listening to me, what is what my wife has said to me a few times throughout our marriage, <laughs> they are not referring to the fact that I, she's not referring to the fact that I can't repeat what she said. They mean that I, and she means I'm not attentive to what she did say. They want your undivided attention at that moment. They want to know, are you hearing me? And you see that. They, they want you to hear. How will you know when God is paying attention? Verse 14, the end of it, God always pays attention to his will. If we ask anything according to his what? Will. So God always pays attention to his will. If there is no relationship with the Father, there is no knowledge of his will. When your will is connected, he will hear our prayers. Then prayers begin to get answered. Then we will have whatever we ask. I don't know if there's any deeper promise than that, but he kind of, I just want to kind of sort this out because maybe today you wonder, well, how do I really pray? Yes, God, through the gospels, Jesus teaches us how to pray and that's a wonderful thing there and how to do it. But you know, let me encourage you today, start in prayer with his revealed will. What is God's revealed will? The word of God. That is his revealed will. And it can go something like this. Father, you said in your word, that this is your will. Then, Father, I want what you want. Now, here are my requests in light of that. God will always respond to that kind of prayer. So what do you need today in your life for God to change? And can you take that and align it with the will of the Father and know that is his will and align your prayers with that and pray in light of that. If you can't, it's not the will of God. Right? So pray according to his authority. He authorized, he never turns the sun down. God never turns the sun down. In this concluding section, 1 John 5, God wants us to have a new confidence. 
He wants us to have a new confidence, and you will see this confidence over and over again. Look in verse 15. We know. Verse 18. We know. Verse 19. We know. In verse 20. We know. He says, when intimacy with God is increasing, the reality of God becomes your experience, then at a much deeper level, you see that. 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that, verse 70, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Anyone who has intimacy will, out of concern, help God's family. Now, you can't pass that up. If there is a need in the family, he said, because of your love for me, you will go and you will help that person out. You'll help a brother, you'll help a sister out. Those that are right vertically with God would help those that are struggling in sin. Remember, remember the guy in the, the Gospels that was sick, he's lame, they, he, he couldn't walk. They had to lower him. Remember, through the roof, they couldn't even get him close. It was so jam-packed. But how they decided to get him close to Jesus was they tore back the roof and then they lowered this man into the presence of Jesus inside of that room. How many remember that story, Right? And, and what happened was in that moment, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, it wasn't his faith. It says, when Jesus saw their faith collectively together, they teamed up and they said, hey, wait a minute, this person is not doing well. This person is not good. And we need to get them into the presence of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We need to get him there. And says their faith collectively went into action and got him into the presence of the Lord. There are some that can't get up and they need help. That is what the family of God is all about. Amen? protect them, help them. You can see maybe what they can't see. You're about ready to go over a cliff here, man. Ma'am, you're about ready. Your, your life could be cut short because of what you're about ready to do. There are consequences to what you're about ready to do, young person, and we need to go after them, and we need to help them, and we need to team together, and we need to come. There's just some things you just have to pig pile on. You just got to come and tackle it and together, and you got to say, hey, we're going to help you through this. You're trying to help them. You and I have been given a life preserver, and now we are called to give a life preserver to somebody else. We're to throw them a lifeline. We're to get in there to help them and say, man, come on, let's get you out of this. We talked about that last week. Now, listen, all sin removes us from fellowship with God. He's talking about sin as death as it, its, its natural result the physical demise of the person. It is possible to not live out your physically ordained days. In God's ideal plan, maybe he wants you to live 90, 100, I don't know, whatever it is, that's, you know, God knows. But you go home at 60. He says there is a sin that leads to death, the early demise of the believer. He doesn't name the sin, though. We don't know what that is. But there are things that can happen and we can do in our own lives. There are people that take their own lives. Sure, God knows their end from their beginning, their beginning from their end. 
But maybe he desired that they would live a long, full life, but at 20-some years of age, they decided to take their life. It's the early demise. Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, sin against God, that's what he did, and the people of Israel. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, and they dropped dead in the New Testament. How many remember that story? That's the one we don't like to talk about a lot. It's what they lied about. Oh, they lied. That's sin. But it's what they lied about. They made a promise to those who were, who were in need and didn't do what they said they were going to do to help those that were less fortunate. Aren't you glad that we're about ready to receive a holiday offering today? Boy, that's a, that's a great encouragement, isn't it? I think we're going to have record giving today, Pastor Mike. So that's a good thing. You know, no pressure, right? His main point is, you can go to God with confidence in prayer and expect an answer. If you need prayer, find somebody that's close to God. That they have faith and love and action together. Why was there civil war in America? Well, amongst the many reasons, but there was faith, but there was no love. Verse 18, we know that whatever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. He's saying you have a part of you that the devil can't touch. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago in chapter three, that there is a seed. There is a seed that's in you that is your new nature. There's a part inside of you, believer, that the devil can't touch. He'd love to, but he can't. Now, it's not your, your new nature that can sin. It's your flesh. It's your flesh that sins. That's why we are to walk in the spirit, walk in your new nature, and the devil, devil can't touch that as much as he wants to. So what we, each of us need to do as believers on a daily basis is we need to turn our new natures loose and tell the devil, can't touch this. No, 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 no. Right? Can't touch it. There's a seed that's within you. Verse 19, he talks about another confidence. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You and I were born in this world, uh, but we're born again out of it. We were all born into sin. David says it, so were we. The world we said a few weeks ago is a system that wants to draw you and I away from God. A final confidence, he says in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. This is a little side note, but I want you to put it in your weaponry because you're gonna need it. If anyone tells you that Jesus is not the son of God, you show them verse 20. This is where the Jehovah Witnesses are wrong. Jesus Christ is not less than God. He is the true God and eternal life, period. Clearly stated. I'm not encouraging people to go have arguments and quarrels with those of other faith or cults. I'm just saying, put this one into your tool belt because you're gonna need to use it because the world, all the way back from the Old Testament, has been trying to belittle the Son of God. 
you can take them to this portion of Scripture. We know intimacy with God breeds insight from God. Spiritual comprehension. To know is just not know, but to experience in depth spiritual perception and understanding. It allows you to go beyond the physical, to see what's behind the curtain, to see what's behind there. That's where the secret of the Lord is revealed. Psalm 34 said, the secret of the Lord is reserved for those that fear the Lord. Amen. If you fear the Lord, the secret of the Lord is with you, Psalm 34, that you can begin to see a little bit behind the curtain of life, things that you couldn't see before. And then verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols, period, amen, period. I mean, don't you love how he ends that? Hey, little children, keep yourself from idols, period, amen, period. Guard yourself from any false representation of God because that will lead you from the true God. It is amazing. Some people have been Christians a long time, but they still can't see. I'm not talking about physical sight. Spiritual perception is what he's getting at, that some can see here. You have intimacy, and you can stand on one bank of the river and see a cross. Now, you and I can't see everything because we're not God. But you can see a little more clear than you did maybe years back. Because you have a relationship with the Father that helps you dispel the fog. Okay, I'm seeing a little more clearly now because the Bible says we can't see everything because we see through a glass darkly. But we get to see a little more because the intimacy with the Father because God wants to share His heart. He wants to share His secret with you. It's amazing. He said, guard yourself from idols. Don't make any images of God. We must have the actual understanding of God that reflects who he is. Who is he? Appraise my true value, he says, and let that speak for itself. Keep yourself from any small g God that will keep you from the true God in heaven. His point is confidence. That's what he's speaking. Where there is vertical faith and horizontal love, there will be intimacy. Where there is intimacy, there is confidence. Confidence in prayer Confidence in power and your ability to perceive confidence to live victoriously in this world that you can wake up with confidence because of your intimacy with the Father in heaven. He says you can know this. You can know it. Oh yeah, we have feelings. Some of us dread every morning we get up. Some of you are like, I don't even like waking up. You don't have to wake up that way. Sure, we have common feelings. But beyond the feelings, he says, it comes the confidence in knowing who the Father is in you. Don't make him out to be a graven image. Don't make him out to be the God you think he should be. But you would ascribe value for who he is. And let that be a confidence to you as you move out every single day. I remember when I was about 14 years of age, I growing up in Waterloo, Iowa. I remember living in that neighborhood and um, there was a house kitty corner from us. It's down the street. You can see, see it right now in my mind. Uh, on the West 8th Street in Waterloo, Iowa. And I remember um, there was a bully in the neighborhood. You know, you ever had those bullies come at you, they just want to thump you? If you're a bully here today, 
I'm going to invite you down for prayer in just a moment. The Bible says whatever my hand finds it to do, do with all my might. You're just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But don't like bullies. So this bully, I was a scrawny little 14-year-old. I mean, I was skin and bone, seriously. I don't mean, I mean, I was scrawny growing up. And this, this, this bully in the neighborhood, kitty corner from us, he lived there. And let me tell you something. This guy, he was a bully. And I remember one day being on my bike. And I remember one day riding, and he starts saying things to me, bullying me. And I looked around. I couldn't find any of my friends. But I looked up the hill to our house there on West 8th Street on the right. I remember looking up, and I was on my bike, and he didn't. He wasn't on a bike, and he was just walking, and he was coming behind me. And I looked up, and I thought, well, I really, man, where should I go? And it was at that moment, my big brother walked out. He's six years older than me. He walked out of the house, and he walked. I still remember it was a, it was a light gray Dodge Dart that he walked to there, he had a stripe down the side, don't you remember that? And I, he, I saw him walk out and I thought, man, if I can ride this bike really fast and get to my house, th- this is going to be a good thing. But if that guy gets to me, the bully gets to me, I'm in trouble, right? And so what I did is I, these little scrawny little legs, these knobby knees pedaled for all their might. I remember going up that hill and I remember going and my brother stood right there. He realized something wasn't right. I remember him looking, and I remember at that moment, I got off my bike at the end of the driveway, and what I did was, even though the bully kept coming up the road, what I did was, I got behind my big brother. How many of you have been there? Maybe it was a big sister, right? I got behind my big brother, and I thought, I'm just gonna hide out here for just a moment. And I remember peeking out once in a while and seeing the bully. The bully continued to come. Man, that's a pretty amazing. My, 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 my brother's pretty big. And that bully made it all the way up to my brother. And my big brother knew what was going on. I didn't hardly have to say a thing. And he said, listen. He said, you leave my little brother alone and you go back home. And you know, it's at those moments in your life when you're hiding behind the big brother, you kind of want to peek your head out and go, yeah, did you hear that? Yeah, you got me now, right? You go back and you hide, right? We've all done. I mean, you feel big at that moment. You feel strong. What was taking place? Well, Well, I borrowed my brother's position. His power his presence, and I piggybacked off of that. And all of the sudden, the bully that was coming to chase me turned around and hightailed it back home. All because I located my big brother. You following me? You and I have a big brother today. I don't, I don't know about you, but that excites me. You and I have a big brother today that we need to realize he's seated on the right hand of the Father, not mine, his words. I know that you are being chased. Let me tell you something. You live in the same world I do, sir, ma'am, young person. The devil has pummeled you all week. And I don't even have to ask if he did. Why? Because I'm human like you. The devil has come after you so many different ways, so many different angles, and he's tried to get the best of you. He's tried to chase you down by your circumstances, your situations. He's come after you and said, you are a sinner. 
And, 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 and so what you realize is that at that moment, you can hightail it to your big brother. And when you get behind your big brother, the enemy, the enemy will have to back down because the champion of the universe has arrived. And he is your rescuer. And he is your redeemer in Jesus' name. I don't know what's chasing you today. I don't, I don't know what's coming at you, but that's very real. That's very real. That the enemy's trying to come and pummel us and that it's at that moment you can come out from behind Jesus and know this. And I know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. You can come with confidence today to know that Jesus Christ, you can come, you can pray with confidence. You can pray with power. You can lift your voice in faith because why? You have intimacy with the Father even though the enemy has tried to come and pummel you and beat you and break you down. That you, as we sang about today, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Amen. And so I have, and you have a victorious brother seated at the right hand of God and that you and I can be intimate with him and can know greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Oh, if I try to stand there on my own like you, we're going to get nailed. We're going to get pummeled. But we don't have to. We stand behind the King of kings and the Lord of lords today. And he represents us to the Father. And he wants you and I to know him with confidence that when the vertical's right and the horizontal's right, he said, I will come and I will be intimate with you no matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter the lie or the curse of the enemy, I will stand with you in the battle because I am a friend that sticks closer than a brother, he says in his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word in 1 John. Lord, what an amazing book. What an amazing book that tells us that we just don't have to have quantity of life. We can have quality. And that, Lord, you're doing a work in us now. And we can have confidence as we pray to you today. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And everyone said, amen.